0: Common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. Here now is your host, Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to the Oregon Roundup Podcast. It's the afternoon of August 16th, 2023. It's been a couple weeks since I've done one of these puppies. I apologize for that. Just been super busy with work. And when I've found time the stuff that I've been interested in opining on, I thought was better for writing rather than podcasting. But we're breaking that streak today with a very fun interview I just completed with Bev Clarno. Bev was the Secretary of State in Oregon for a couple of years, a few years ago. She was Speaker of the House a while back. She served in the state senate. She served in the Bush administration, George W. Bush administration. She's as well-rounded and accomplished a figure in Oregon politics as you can come across, especially on the Republican side. So talk to her about her successor in the Secretary of State's office, Shamia Fagan, and some of her foibles. Bev did not pull any punches in her view of some of the stuff that Fagan did, specifically with regard to LaModa and the $500,000 Democratic Party of Oregon donation, among other things. And also got into just kind of what's changed in Salem, what could be fixed, and just her views of some other political topics. So that's, that's a good interview. Come up here in, in just one second. Appreciate you listening. Again, if you uh, have not not subscribed to this thing, uh, you can subscribe to it and the newsletter uh, at oregonroundup.substack.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app of choice, Apple podcast, Google podcast, other things called podcast, so that it's delivered right to your podcast player when it's available, when a new episode is available. I know that's how I get these things because I listen to quite a few podcasts and they just show up in my little Apple podcast thing. I don't really listen to podcasts that come to me via email. Not sure if you do, but it helps us get recognized and known if you also subscribe via your podcast app. So, thank you for doing that and I hope you are enjoying the dog days of summer in Oregon. It is a smoky hot day here in Bend, Oregon today. ample evidence of the climate crisis depending on how you uh or who you talk to. But yeah, it's uh it's smoky and hot and it's just kind of one of those one of those days over here. Hopefully everyone stays safe from the fires and We don't have kind of a Maui type of situation here in Oregon this fire season. Thanks for listening, and uh, here's Bev Clarno. All right, and now I'd like to welcome Bev Clarno to the Oregon Roundup podcast. Bev was uh, the Speaker of the Oregon House of Representatives. She was the Northwest Head of the U.S. Department of Agriculture under President George W. Bush. She served for a while as Oregon's Secretary of State and is the author of From Pigs to Politics, a book I own and that you can own, too, via Amazon and probably other outlets Bev can let us know about. It's a fun memoir about Bev's lifetime in politics in Oregon. Bev, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Jeff. And I just have to correct one thing. President Bush appointed me to the Department of Health and Uh Human Services in Seattle. I would fit the Department of Agriculture very well, having been spent most of my life in the farming and ranching. But I also had a lot of experience in health and human services with those various agencies. And that was the fit that worked the
0: best for me. So yeah, that, anyway. that, that makes sense. I knew that. And I thank you for correcting me. I think I was just yeah. thinking about pigs <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the USDA came to mind. And, yes. but, but thank you. Yes. There aren't many people in the state of Oregon who have more experience in Oregon politics than Bev, or do, Bev, do you prefer to, I should ask you this, Secretary Clarno? No, Clarno? no, Bev. Bev. Bev, okay. Bev is fine. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. And so it's an honor to have you on today, I think, especially among Republicans. There aren't many Republicans who have served in a diversity of positions in the way that you have. And so your your wisdom and insight is much appreciated. So I thought what we'd start off with today is to talk a little bit about your successor as Secretary of State. You were appointed to fill a vacancy in the position. You were appointed by Kate Brown. And then you served until was it January of two thousand twenty one, is that right?
1: Yes, correct. Okay. And you Yes, were... I was the governor who was a Democrat had to appoint a Republican. And I had lots of friends I know that said, Oh gee, how come you're having to work for Kate Brown? Which shows you the lack of our understanding about civics education in Oregon and that the Secretary of State's is an independent office as well as the governor's office and the treasurer's office, but Dennis Richardson was a Republican, and the sitting governor, then a Democrat, Kate Brown, had to replace that position with a Republican. So there I was.
0: There you were. And actually, you bring up kind of the independence of the office. When you were serving as Secretary of State, how much interaction did you have with then Governor Kate Brown? Just out of curiosity.
1: Very little. The governor's office, whoever it be, is very, very busy, and the Secretary of State's office is very busy. She asked me to sit in on the meetings they were having about an audit that my audit division had done, foster care and children's issues. That was in 2019, my first year that I served, because the second year was when we had COVID. So the 2019 year was the year that I sat in on the meetings with her and various people from the private sector and judges and legal people that were trying to see what we could do about what my audit showed, which was a lack of good care for for kids that go into facilities. There were some out-of-state facilities that young people were sent to that were extremely difficult youngsters to handle, and a lot of public outcry about how all that was done. So I sat in on those meetings, and that was about the best, or the most interaction I had with the with Governor Brown then.
0: Sure, and I, I remember your audit of the foster care system, and that got a whole lot of press, and I think at least some attempts at reforms. That was certainly a productive use of the power of audit for the Secretary of State's office. You were succeeded by Shamia Fagan, correct? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. So, as you know, we've covered the travails of Shamia Fagan in some detail here at the Oregon Roundup. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Bev, is just because you have a perspective on kind of what's happened with that office since you left simply because you served there, and none of the rest of us have. I'd love to just get your take on some of the, some of the issues that have come out of that office since you left. Shamia Fagan, of course, unlike you, is a Democrat, And she, in the process of running for various offices and ultimately the Secretary of State's office, received some $400,000 in campaign contributions from the Democratic Party of Oregon. Once she was in office, and well, I guess a year and a half or so after she got into office, there was some news coverage of a $500,000 donation that the Democratic Party of Oregon had misreported. That donation was actually from a guy named Nishad Singh, who was at the time an executive for now bankrupt cryptocurrency firm FTX. There was a lot of concern when that investigation got rolling that the person in charge of the investigation was someone who had benefited significantly from campaign donations from the Democratic Party of Oregon, one of the entities she was supposed to be investigating. I guess, first of all, have you have you followed that story?
1: Yes, of course I have, and... I was interviewed by the reporter who exposed most of the things that were wrong with that whole process. And I think I think one of the things that uh, to me is to be Secretary of State of Oregon, you should be so honored to serve there and have integrity utmost in your mind. And for her to say, Well, she that wasn't enough salary and she had to get another job with these people who were under investigation by the federal government for not paying their taxes to me you know when you run for that office and campaigning statewide is very difficult i've done it before it's very grueling and for you to run for an office that you're only going to get $75,000 a year 78,000 whatever it is and then think that you need to get another job is just ludicrous i just can't imagine why you would it's my understanding that she already had a, as, a, as an attorney I was getting a good income from that. So you just wonder, why do you get in a position where you're going to take less money and then you have to take a job in Moonlight and a job that is questionable, very questionable?
0: Sure. And if you're doing public service right, you're not getting rich off of doing public service for better or worse. And she clearly stepped in it there and ended up having to resign. And what you were referring to just now was her contract with LaModa, which is a cannabis company where she was doing some independent contracting for LaModa while serving as Secretary of State and while that office's audit of cannabis regulation was was being completed. And just to back up just a little bit, are you familiar with this donation to the Democratic Party of Oregon that also was investigated by the Secretary of State's office? Are you familiar with that?
1: Yes, just from what I've read in the media, Jeff, okay, that's all okay. I
0: do you think it was appropriate for Shamia Fagan to oversee an investigation into the Democratic Party of Oregon when she had received so much in campaign contributions from the Democratic Party of Oregon? Is that do you think that's a problem?
1: I don't think it's appropriate at all. I would trying to find out if something like that would have come up for me, I would have tried to find out alternative ways from the Attorney General's office how I could investigate that without looking like I was favoring my own political party, especially if that party had been a substantial donor in my being successful and being elected. And even if they hadn't been, I think you have to be extremely careful.
0: Speaking of being careful, or in this case, not careful, after I and others raised some questions about even Fagan's role in investigating her campaign donor, she, she went and appointed... Molly Woon to uh, lead the Elections Division. And the Elections Division is the division within the Secretary of State's office that, as the name sounds, oversees election and was overseeing this investigation of the Democratic Party of Oregon. And Woon had had come from the Democratic Party of Oregon. She was a deputy director of the Democratic Party of Oregon. And Fagan appointed her in the midst of this Supposed investigation into the Democratic Party of Oregon. Can you come up with? I can't. Let me just preface my question with that. I, I can't think of a legitimate reason to do that, or at least a reason that is consistent with maintaining kind of some public perception of fairness and nonpartisanship in the office. Do you have any uh, any idea <laughs> am I missing something is there another reason why no, she would have done that it,
1: No that smells like politics at its worst I will tell you that I left the Senate when I was in the Senate in 2003 for the Seattle appointment and there was a little bit of partisanship and when I returned in 2019 I was astounded at the partisanship and how divisive everything was. And I was also very astounded by the party, the Democrat Party, that had been in control for so long and their arrogance. And I think all I can think of is why you would do what Fagan did in appointing someone that was the leader of the Democrat Party to then oversee the Democrat donations, et cetera, in the Secretary of State's office, is that you, you th- think that you don't have to answer to anybody. You think that whatever you do is going to be accepted because it has been in the past. And a lot of these people that rose to power so quickly and were helped to become statewide offices are people who think that there's nobody's going to stop them. And I think that's a terrible attitude in politics. It's just sad.
0: Yeah, and it sure, it sure hasn't worked out well for Fagan, and maybe she was the one that finally pushed it too far. I want to kind of dig into a little bit of something that you said earlier, which would be the relative lack of partisanship when you were involved with the legislature in the 90s and early 2000s, and then what you observed when you came back to serve in Salem as Secretary of State in 2019— what are some differences? You said that it was just much more partisan. What, what were the things you, you observed that made you realize just how partisan it had become?
1: I would meet weekly with the members of the Ways and Means to discuss the issues I had before that committee in the Secretary of State's budget. And that there was several times that the leaders of the Ways and Means accused me of asking for something for the audits division or this or something that the audits division has done that was partisan. And I was very proud of my audits division and the whole team there. Mm -hmm. And they weren't political and tried very hard to not be political. And I was offended that I would be accused of that right in front of a whole group of us who are in front of this Ways and Means Committee, not in a committee hearing, but in a general discussion. And that would not have happened before parties were more respectful of one another in the presence of others. And if you had a beef, you talked to somebody individual about it, not tried to play, I gotcha.
0: Sure. Did you feel when you were kind of the rarest of things in Oregon, which is to say a Republican holding statewide office in the midst of. Democrats holding all the other statewide offices and controlling by good margins both houses of the legislature. Did you feel kind of like an outsider during your time as Secretary of State?
1: At times, yes, of course. And I think the the hardest thing is to be someone who's been on this side of the cascades. Mm-hmm. I've always been worried about the urban rural divide. Over here, know that we have to le- live by whatever Big Brother in Portland and the Willamette Valley votes for. We have to live with it, whether we like it or not. And often you feel like if you speak up in a meeting that because, I mean, if you speak up about things that are important to this side of the mountains and you're treated like they look down their nose at you, obviously you don't know if this is because you're a Republican or a rural member of the legislature. They're both sometimes treated about the same. I remember hearing about in the governor's office in a meeting a few months ago that someone was talking about a program going to be put in place, and he said, well, what about Eastern Oregon? And one of the governor's staff says, oh, we don't have to worry about that. Not many people live over there. (laughs) And that's an attitude that's rampant that's just really bad, but I, I guess... I've always felt so bad about the rural-urban divide, and now I feel so bad about how severe the divide is between Democrats and Republicans. Because there was a time when I went in in nineteen eighty-nine and ninety and ninety-one, where uh, we worked hard on issues, and we had an Eastern Oregon group that met once a week for breakfast to just stick together, Democrats and Republicans to stick together for what was good for Eastern Oregon, and I, there's nothing I'm like nothing like that anymore.
0: Yeah, it seems like since you were serving in the legislature, the kind of the regional divide or the urban-rural divide has lined up with the partisan divide. There just aren't many representatives or senators from east of the Cascades who are Democrats anymore. And similarly, no. I guess there's one here, in, two here in Bend, maybe another one up in the House in the gorge. But, you know, you go east of here and it's, it's all Republican territory. And similarly, I mean, obviously Portland is all all Democrat, Eugene's all Democrat. And even a lot of those kind of suburbs that used to be kind of battleground areas have gotten more Democrat. So it's really like that, that divide that's existed for a long time between urban and rural now is kind of a also a a partisan divide when the folks in power are all of one party and all are from one side of the mountains or one side of the urban rural divide it's going to it's going to have some bad effects what what are your thoughts i know you've thought a lot about this what how would how do you think Oregon should get past, or improve or minimize the urban-rural divide? What are some things we can do to help with that?
1: I really don't have an answer for that. I think it starts with the legislature. And I think if the legislature could ever come to an agreement that, that rural issues are just as important as urban issues and that we could share... Our concerns about those things, I can remember city legislators going over to Pendleton. Mike Darn was a Democrat from Pendleton, and he had us come over to the woolen mills, and we visited the tribes over there and went over issues for for lots of things in eastern Oregon. And then we came back and went to the, I remember Gordon Smith and I went to Margaret Carter's skill centers in Northeast Portland to understand how she was trying to save young people that had not made it through school and doing great things to save some of the kids in her community and gives you a better, better understanding. And so when I needed to vote to stop a big fee on studded tires, which, you know, your average minimum wage person can't afford to buy, other uh, tires or something. At that time, you had to have whole different tires and wheels and everything. Mm-hmm. And Margaret helped me and was a key vote in killing that, and I was a key vote in helping her get something and she want that she needed in Northeast Portland. And I don't really think that's, to me, that's not trading votes. It's understanding what our brothers and sisters around the state need, and that's that's the way to make good policy, not just do it from one point of view. My sister and I often disagree on politics, and she's so upset about what's happened in downtown Portland, and I said, but you've had policymakers running downtown Portland for 45 years that I know of that are of one party and one policy mindset, and do you think that's made a difference? To me, I just don't think understanding how uh, you have one party rule, you have a philosophy that's going to permeate through everything that's done. I mean, we haven't had a Republican governor for over 45 years. That makes a difference. It's like a corporation. The guy that's headed the corporation doesn't hire people that disagrees with him. He hires people that work from the same ideology he has. And every agency, that's the way they're all operated is from the perspective of the governor's ideals and policy. So when we have problems like in Portland, we have to say, are we voting for the right policymakers? And we have to say the same thing to ourselves about every community we're in.
0: Did you see the news about Governor Kotech convening that downtown Portland, I guess, advisory group that's going to supposedly look into how to fix downtown Portland? No. She's going to convene a group. I The headline I saw was something like, CoTech to convene a group to make a list of priorities to form a plan to do something down the road. And uh, it'd be nice to see a little action. I think most people in Oregon agree with you that there's an underlying cause for all this stuff, kind of the decay of downtown Portland, the relative lawlessness elsewhere in the state you know, our drug addiction crisis, et cetera, that underlying that is a common ideology that just happens to have attached itself to Oregon with an iron grip, especially over the last five, six, seven, eight years. So I'd like to see, it'd be nice yes. to see a little action there. And I agree with you that voters need to, ultimately it takes yeah, the voters so making a change. One of the things that bothered me
1: about serving in politics after all my life and agriculture really is that you have meetings and meetings, and meetings, and meetings. And my goodness, if we did that in agriculture, I had 3,000 pigs. I had to feed them when it was time to feed them. I couldn't have a meeting and discuss what I was going to feed them. You just can't have meeting after meeting and do nothing.
0: Yep, you'd, you'd like to think so. But yeah, there are a heck of a lot of meetings in uh, in politics, and it seems like a lot of it is kind of window dressing and pretending they're going to do something about something they're really either can't or won't do something about. So let's go back to the Secretary of State's office specifically. We talked about some of the problems that Shamia Fagan had and caused in that office after you left. There's a lot of Oregonians, and by a lot of Oregonians, I would include myself, who wonder whether the Secretary of State's office, as it's currently constituted, can even properly and fairly oversee the election process because of how partisan Fagan was, quite frankly, in carrying out its audit functions, as well as its election functions, and specifically with regard to kind of the pretend investigation of the Democratic Party of Oregon. Do you think the Secretary of State's office, as currently constituted, can fairly oversee election issues? And if not, Are there any changes to the office that you think would be appropriate to help things out?
1: So I've always thought that the office shouldn't should be nonpartisan. But even if it is nonpartisan, and I do believe it should be, you're going to probably elect somebody that hasn't been an independent for thirty or forty years. They've probably come from one party or the other, Mm -hmm. and I think you just to me when you take on the responsibility of being the guardian of the seal of Oregon and to oversee fair and honest elections and to um, have fair and thorough audits. And there's other things, of course, we do in the Secretary of State's office. But those are the main functions that I think you need to be as uh, careful and as Of integrity and honesty as you can possibly be. I had a situation where when people file their voters' pamphlet statement, um, a a Republican group, not an individual, a group, filed and filed late. They said that they couldn't get on because the system was jammed. Well, I said no, they couldn't they couldn't be accepted because late is late. And they went to court and the judge sided with them and let them file because they said it was too difficult to get on our system when when they waited at the last minute. Well, any responsible person shouldn't wait at the last minute. You should mm-hmm. file so that you know that you can get into a system and get get it done in time if you're going to really care about getting your message out there and your filings done. So I ruled against my own party. I lost, but I still think I was right.
0: Sure. And I'm glad you brought that up because of course, another Fagan uh, misstep in my opinion was her uh, overruling her then elections division uh, chief to allow a Democrat candidate for Congress to, Uh, Submit a voter pamphlet statement late. Uh, And that kerfuffle came out after Fagan terminated that elections division uh, director, in part apparently because of that, uh, that the director didn't want to um, allow the late filing, as I think is pretty clearly required under Oregon law. that the director was right that she wanted to exclude that statement because it was filed late. Uh, Fagan overrode that, uh, decision. And, uh, before too long the election division director was no longer the election division director. Um, so that's, uh, that's, um, I commend you for doing what you did and acting in a nonpartisan way that, uh, I agree with you is what the secretary of state's office clearly is intended to be. Uh, because of the amount of kind of uh, judicial-ish authority it has over election stuff, and how important it is for Oregonians to view that process as uh, fair and complete and nonpartisan. Um, and on that, the issue of election integrity, um, I've I hear from folks who read my stuff and listen to my stuff fairly regularly. Like, Jeff, it doesn't matter what happens in Oregon. Republican votes never are counted. The Democrats have this this whole fraudulent scheme set up, and that's why they always win elections in Oregon. And, um, you know, I'm certainly not bashful about investigating and writing about things Democrats or others are doing that I think is improper. But when I ask these folks who email me, okay, well, show me, what are you talking about? And um, they usually don't respond. And when they do, it's not very uh, convincing. Even to me, someone who's written critically about um, you know all manner of things that the Democrats who run Oregon are doing, I, I just haven't even seen the merit in writing about it. Um, you oversaw state elections, uh, including uh, a very big election in 2020 when you were Secretary of State. What do you think about the state of election integrity? By which I mean, if, you're, if you cast a vote in Oregon, is your vote going to get counted? You know, did you see issues of fraud? If so, how much? Kind of just your snapshot of what you think about election integrity as a Republican who served as Secretary of State.
1: I obviously believe that we had a very good election and that we have integrity in our election system. Certainly, I felt it when I was there. I did have some exposure to my elections director talking about national meetings that he's gone to and various machines. Every state can do their elections different and have rules and regulations about their elections. But my elections director then let me know that some machines are easier to tamper with, I think is the word he used, Mm -hmm to set up with algorithms. I don't know if that ever happened, but he said that our machines were not capable of having that happen. He believed we absolutely had elections that were very fair and honest and straightforward as far as everybody getting to vote. And I think the only thing that we ever heard is complaints about people harvesting ballots where they go various groups whether it be unions or clubs or whatever, go around and to their membership and pick up their ballots to deliver them. And I hope the legislature will make that illegal someday because I know my daughter works in a facility in Banda a care center for seniors, and that someone knocked on her door the night before elections and said, Well, so and so lives here and we want to get her ballot. And my daughter said, It's. Late, and she's in bed, and you can't see her. But that's pretty intensive. They're going to go around to facilities and get old people's ballots to make sure they voted.
0: Yeah, definitely some possibilities for fraud when you have that kind of situation arise. And, you know, like I said, I'm certainly open to the idea that fraud occurs. Would love to investigate and write about it if it looks like it has occurred on a wide scale basis that would change the outcome of an election like you I mean I've I've been through recounts at the Deschutes County Clerk's office and I've seen how exacting that process is and how accurate the initial tally was versus the eventual tally absent pretty compelling evidence to the contrary what I've seen in Oregon is that at least the the process of tabulating votes seems to be done pretty fairly and concisely. Now, the way that the Secretary of State's office has chosen to adjudicate and investigate issues with campaign finance has been partisan as all get out over the last couple of years. But that's a different issue as to actually counting ballots. Bev, I want to be sensitive to your time. You're a busy person. That's all the questions I have for you. Do you, Is there anything else you want folks to know about what you're up to these days or kind of your reflections on the state of Oregon and Oregon politics?
1: Yeah, well, I'm a little worried about politics in Oregon and certainly nationally, too. And one of my biggest worries is I have a grandson that's a Border Patrol agent, Mm -hmm. and I'm so worried about our border and that people are coming in without any kind of control on the diseases they may have from other countries and where this is all going to take us. It's, uh, it's a real worry. As a person who's lived a few years now, I, I just think we hadn't had a legal immigration system. And if we needed to expand it, expand it. But I think that just pretty much things run loose in this country, and I'm very concerned about it. So I think it all has to do with our party politics. And I just think people need to better educate themselves about who they're voting for. Uh, Flashy ads with people that have a lot of money, get them elected, but it doesn't mean they're the people that are the best for the office. And I hope people do a little more educating of themselves before they vote.
0: Yeah, that'd be nice, huh? And you're right right about the border crisis. It would be nice if there was, uh, you know, people say, we need to reform the immigration system. It would be nice if we just had a system that actually was in effect and enforced so that we're at least... Talking about changing laws that are actually enforced, rather than the current state of affairs, which is, by all appearances, pretty lawless down there. So, thank you. Is it your nephew who serves as a border patrol agent? A grandson. Grandson. A grandson. Well, thank you. Yeah. Please pass my thanks along to him for his service yes. in doing that. That's. I know that that can be a thankless, difficult, and probably often hot job to perform. And thank you so much, Bev, for your time and sharing your insight in all these issues. There's no one better we could have on this podcast to kind of put what we're seeing in Oregon in context versus what's been going on here previously.
1: Thank you for having me, Jeff. And thank you for your newsletters that you write and giving an opinion on some things that maybe none of us would know about if you didn't write what you do. So thank you. Thanks, Bev. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bev as much as I did. She really brings a perspective to this stuff that is different than pretty much anyone else I could have had on the podcast. I remember when I was running for Ben city council way back in 2008 and was speaking at some event and Bev was there, you know, I gave my learned views on whatever topic was at hand. And she kindly came up to me after the event and said, you know, Jeff, Sometimes saying less is better. She said it very kindly, more kindly than that sounds. And if you know Bev, you know that she meant it in the most positive way possible. And Because that's the type of person she is, trying to help people. Super nice woman, really accomplished, has done some really cool stuff in Oregon. So I was happy to have her on. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back hopefully next week for another podcast. And stay tuned for some newsletter fun coming up soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.